As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, everyone, to Season 1, Episode 1, From the Tips. We're the Resh Brothers. If you're watching us on YouTube, I'm Colin. That is... Scott. There you go. <laughs> and I'm here. <laughs> see my man, Mark Spears, senior NBA writer, ESPN's The Undefeated. He is our first guest. First episode, Mark. Yes, man. What do I get? <laughs> you get to be number one. For one, well, when you when you guys get your merch, I, I expect to be the first one to get a box of it. It'll probably have some sort of Steve Kerr logo somewhere. Would that be appropriate? Yeah, yeah that's what you guys should should call the podcast. I'm not Steve Kerr. Oh, <laughs> we totally blew it. You can we still change the name. I mean, that hasn't come out yet. So <laughs> that way, people will be like, "What is this? I'm not Steve Kerr." They'll they'll be thinking it's some kind of like political statement, but no. Oh, well, this might be a there's a twist <laughs> we might have you on <laughs> on of i'm not steve kerr we'll see but All we're right. on the tips for now scott kind of came up with that idea why don't you tell everyone that's tuning in scott why we calling it why we're calling it that well the 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 quick answer is we're both passionate about golf it's where the professionals play from. And since we're going to be talking to a lot of pros in their respective uh, professions, Mark being the first, uh, we thought it made sense. Yeah, that's it, right? It doesn't have to just be from sports, uh, media, which is my background, Scott's background. Obviously, Mark is in the media with sports, but business, tech, uh, might even have some musician friends on, um, professionals kind of doing their thing. And how they got to where they were, what's going on in their lives, that sort of thing is what, what we're going for. And, and I just thought it was, um, uh, you know, a good idea to have Mark on as our first guest with everything that's going on in the world currently. Uh, Mark and I first met, correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, but I think it was at the actual Warriors Victory Parade, June 19th, 2015, you and I were co-hosting, you know, along Lake Merritt and, and the city was just going crazy. The Warriors first uh, championship in 40 years. And, and we yeah. did time out there. I think that was the first time we met. I think I met you at a game. I mean, you were at the finals. But maybe it was the, the first time we'd ever really liked work together. Um, well, yeah, no, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we had met before because I, asked, I thought you could have played Steve in a movie. <laughs> so like I, I always I called you Steve Kerr from the beginning. Nah, but that 
that day was crazy. I mean, one, because the Warriors actually won a championship, and you, you guys are Cali guys, so you guys know, like, seeing the Warriors win a championship was absolutely, like, still ridiculous to me because for years they were, like, the dregs of sports. You know what I mean? Um, but, uh, Scott, I don't know if he told you, but that day was really strange. Like, we had somebody uh, messing with us and trying to curse on the air and everything, and shout out to my boy Rudy Tabasa and Cody Woods. They, like, were acted as security for us. They're, like, just my friends from East Side San Jose. And some dude was acting a fool, and Rudy, like, body slammed a dude. I don't know if it got on TV or anything, but he, it was it was a nice, nice tackle, nice clothesline. I, I did not hear this part of the story. Yeah, so it was uh, – Rudy took care of him, and I treated him to a nice lunch afterwards at Ozumo, which no longer exists. But uh, that was a fun day, to say the least. Yeah, it was very – one of the coolest days I've had in Oakland. Yeah, I, I went back. I found that video, so I'm probably gonna intersperse it here over when when I post this to YouTube. When, you got the video of Rudy knocking the dude down. I have all of our hits, and the very first hit, I was about ten seconds in. You didn't even let me finish introducing you, and you're like, "Hey, you know that this guy? Everyone keeps coming up to him, thinking we uh, I have Steve Kerr next to me, and and I'm like, why would Steve Kerr be out on the victory route? So that was." <laughs> <laughs> There was hundreds of people behind us, right? And your guys, uh, geez, well, I don't know what we'd have done without them, you know? I mean, really, we, we'd have been in big-time trouble. Yeah, no, I had to make sure I sent them this. They'll get a kick out of that. Yeah. So, speaking of that, since you just brought it up, so, to this day, I've kept this hat, right? Oh, wow. It's his clothing <laughs> doesn't have it anymore, but this hat, and I think it's so – appropriate really with what is happening in the world he came out too early he should be running selling it now right right but but i remember when he gave it to me i said to him i said well rudy you know i i, I was kind of hesitant because I, I i looked at the hat and, and his clothing and i i thought well i'm this this, this white dude is this for me and he said well, what are you what what where do you come from and i said well our mother's Australian, my dad's born in the U.S., and he goes, right there, you're a half-breed, right? He, 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 he brought it back to everybody is. So yeah. wear it with pride. Everybody should feel that way. Um, this is your friend, and, and this is yeah. the clothing company he came up. What do you think of that? Well, I think it's kind of a testament of where we grew up. Um, we grew up uh, capital for Captain McLaughlin in San Jose. And I known Rudy since I was in the first grade or kindergarten, actually. His brother Ernie and I are really close. We went to kindergarten together and we're still friends now. Ernie, Ernie Tabasa lives in Oakland and married two kids. And so um, Rudy kind of was like the big brother I didn't have. But, you know, Rudy's Filipino and black um, growing up in San Jose. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> he didn't even bend the brim. Um, San Jose was extremely diverse and I, I think I got fooled as to what the world was because going going to school there like I went to school with Asians Hispanics blacks lots of kids that were mixed um Indians whites like I remember we had an international day in elementary school where 
every family was asked to bring one dish. Like they'd never do this now for health reasons or whatever, you know, but every family was asked bring one dish and then you could walk by and they put a scoop of it on your plate. So my mom would always, you know, uh, my mom's from Louisiana, Creole, and she would always make shrimp jambalaya, which is still amazing. And so we'd always be gone, but I would taste Vietnamese food. I would taste Filipino food. I would taste Indian food. I would, you would taste all these foods. And, and so it was just natural that we just grew up around people of different cultures and learned different things. Like I love lumpia to this day because, you know, um, Rudy Tabasa's mother used to make it. Um, and she was black, but her other, their, their, their dad was Filipino and she learned how to make lumpia from the family, which is just like part of the, how beautiful this was. And we're talking about in the seventies, but in, in the same token too, even in such a beautiful environment, you know, I, I dealt with a lot of racism as well in terms of uh, I, girls I tried to date when I was in high school. Uh, you know, he's black, so we, I don't want you to date him. Or I had a high school um, JV basketball coach who um, one time we went out to eat and he was like, uh, you know, there's no watermelon in this restaurant. You know that, right? There's no oh, fried wow. chicken in this restaurant. This is my coach. You know, um, I went and bought a, a soda on a real hot day from a Vietnamese restaurant and the dude gave me a cup of piss, you know, because oh, he didn't wow. want anybody black in his restaurant. So you, you have this beautiful side. And then I had some, you know, experience with the cops as well, you know, and then you have this other side that you deal with because you're black. So you have racial harmony in one, racism on the other. So it's certainly a lot to learn from. Uh, growing up in San Jose. Man, that's that's crazy. So the, when I talk to you about bringing you on, this is what I want people to know is is who's Mark Spears, right? We're always seeing you, you know, you're doing your Instagram lives with Kyle Kuzma's and Steven Jackson, my guy, uh, Jack, right? Um, and, and you're hearing from them and you're the one asking all the questions all the time. And uh, outside of being on uh, S with SVP, uh, where he's tossing a few at you, I don't know how many people know Mark Spears' backstory, and, and, and this is the sort of stuff that, that I was kind of hoping that you would, would tell us is, yeah. you know, growing up where you grew up, I know you went to San Jose State, you were a baller, uh, and that was kind of our connection as we both played in, in college. Um, but then taking it from there uh, to become – really the, the predominant writer um, and face when it comes to the NBA and, and the culture of it. And that's what the undefeated is all about your journey, I guess, from then till now. Yeah, no, it's, um, I, I think some of those things that you have talked about, like I played at Foothill college, I played at HBCU university of DC, um, went to San Jose state registered for a year. And I actually got, <clears throat> bounced off the basketball team because of a story I wrote. Did you really? I wrote, yeah, I wrote, I wrote a story about the lack of black colleges, I mean, coaches in college basketball, which mm -hmm. um, at that time, uh, Don Chaney, John Thompson, and Nolan Richardson all, um, uh, all boycotted the lack of black coaches in college basketball and sat out of game. I don't know if you remember this. It was like 93. Yeah. And so I wrote about it in the school paper and I actually um, 
had a scholarship when I left UDC for they, they actually I was unhappy with the education there. So I gave up a full scholarship, came back home, turned down a scholarship to go to San Jose State to be a promised walk on, which basically means the coach um, Stan Morrison told me that I didn't have to try out on the team. I was on the team. He did not promise me a scholarship, but I wanted to go to San Jose State and get my journalism degree at a great journalism school. And wanted to wear that San Jose State jersey because I was I grew up a San Jose State fan. Uh, Ricky Barry was like, I idolized him before he tragically died. Um, so I just wanted to play there, even if it meant I wasn't on scholarship. But since he promised me I'd be on a team, I took it. But I wrote this story basically uh, on the Spartan Daily talking about the lack of black coaches in college basketball and how these three major black coaches uh, sat out of game. But it was like against some like division twos, low division ones, like they didn't really have to be there in order to to make their point. Um, I wish they would have done it against a Kentucky, a UMass at the time, you know, um, something bigger, bigger teams. Um, Syracuse. Um, and so I wrote that in my column and also said that uh, I think every black college basketball player in the country should sit out a game to bring notice to this. It's funny that we're, you know, talking about this right now. Yeah. And so um, the coach didn't like it. He brought the assistant coach in who on a, <laughs> there was five coaches. He was the only black coach on the staff, but he was half breed. He was half black, half white. Got him Stan Stewart. And he brought me in. He goes, um, I want to talk to you about that story. I'm like, oh, you liked it? Yeah. And he's like, no, no. I mean, Coach Morrison is mad that you wrote that. And, you know, and we don't think that's good for the program for you to write stories like that. Hmm. Like, huh? What are you talking about? I said, I'm trying to help you. <laughs> You're black, right? I'm trying to help you. And he's like, yeah, well, Coach, Coach Morrison didn't like that. And I'm like, look. I'll do everything you guys want me to do, but the one thing you're not going to do is tell me what to write. I'm sorry. They didn't like that. From that day forward, um, I was treated differently. Now, let me preface this by saying I wasn't Michael Jordan. I wasn't the best player on the team. I was good enough to be on the team, and I was told I was on the team. I was good enough that I thought be a reserve on the team. But let me not act like I was some superstar because I wasn't. Um, and I was also coming over, you know, recovering from a knee injury. So that summer I had actually in, um, interned at the Grand Rapids Press in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and uh, was about to finish my degree. But um, when I came back, you know, after I wrote that story, I could tell everything was different. Morrison was calling me um, uh, Marcus Aurelius to my face and just the coaching mm -hmm. staff treated me differently. And then they, made me <clears throat> try out for a team I had already made the day after I got cleared to practice from a knee surgery, which was actually excruciatingly painful and awful to do uh, physically and mentally. And then I tried out basically on one leg, did well. And then the next day, Morrison told me that I thought it would be better that I didn't play anymore because of my knee, which I thought was wow. a decision that I should make, not him. Uh, and basically that was the end of my college basketball career. Um, so it was definitely a, like a painful day, but I knew what the bigger reason was. Yeah. Like we never really had that conversation, but 
the fact that it went from your promise a spot, you don't have to try out, to all of a sudden I'm Marcus Aurelius and I got to try out. Like, come on, man. I, I knew the game. Have any of your you know, back then reached out to you in the last 20 plus years? Um, there's one guy named Keith Moss. I keep in touch with him. He was a assistant coach. He's actually one that brought Tariq Abdul-Wahad into mm. uh, San Jose State. And I remember that day afterwards, he's like, man, you played on one leg and kicked everybody's ass. That was incredible. He's like, I never seen anybody like that. Like, I was still hurt. Wow. <laughs> right. And so I still talk to him. But um, the funny thing was my first job. So, you know, San Jose State coach pushes me off and then but when it came time for graduation um i got a letter in the mail inviting me to go to the San Jose state uh graduation uh breakfast for athletes i'm like why did they give me this i'm like they 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 included me in their graduation rates they put me down as an injured player and include me in their graduation rate so it's like it's kind of funny now because my wife is like, I don't even know why you associate yourself with school and you should be mad. And I'm like, no, nah, that was a certain person who did something. I got a great education and I, I'm not going to let that ruin how I feel about the school. You know what I mean? I, one person, one bad apple doesn't make a bunch. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so, but the funny thing was my first job after I graduated from San Jose State was covering Arkansas's football and basketball program with Nola Richardson. <laughs> Yeah. And so months later, after I just wrote about this dude and got chastised for it, he's the first person I covered. Mm. And he couldn't have been a more welcoming, beautiful man. I, I called him a couple uh, last month to check on him. And, oh, man, what an amazing experience to, like, cover Nolan Richardson in my first job. Like, I don't get intimidated by no coach. I covered Nolan Richardson. Yeah. Like, yeah. A legend, like one of the most legendary coaches in any sport, and just a beautiful man. Um, and so, but it was interesting how, like, I wrote about you, and now I'm covering you. After all this, it was, it was certainly a, a weird mental switch. And was that the direction you felt you were going to go even before that situation happened with writing? Um, in terms of writing about race and stuff? Well, just being a writer in general. I mean, obviously. Oh, I knew I, knew I was going to be a writer since yeah. seventh grade. Yeah. Um, uh, had some great um, advice at a, a career day in junior high. Actually, a guy from the Warriors came down to San Jose and talked to our class. And at that time, I had read a thing in Sports Illustrated that said less than 2% of all college basketball players make it to the NBA. And um, that really struck a chord with me. Stats meant a lot. To me, I was yeah. real, I was a realistic kid, even though, you know, Colin knows, like, playing college basketball, and Scott, you know this, is not an easy thing to do. Uh, that's an honor in itself. Making it to the NBA is just a whole different level. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, at that point, I was like, okay, uh, if I, I'm going to play college basketball, and if something better happens, so that'd be nice. But the guy said, you know, he asked me what I wanted to do for a living and I'm like I don't know I want to play for y'all he's like well if you would if you get heard you're not good enough so I don't know he said well my advice to you is if you could find a career where you can combine what you uh love most in life with what you do best in school you can find a career that you're happy with every day I really thought about it and I'm like 
you know, I suck in, in uh, math and science. I, I love English. I'm good in English. I'm good at writing. I love sports. And I said, uh, why not be a sports writer? You know, you can combine what you love most sports with what you do best, writing. Um, and I, I decided in the seventh grade I wanted to be a sports writer. I wrote Mark Purdy from the San Jose Mercury News in a, a class assignment. And then he told me what I needed to do from seventh grade through uh, college uh, to be a sports writer in terms of like write on the school paper in junior high. When you go to college, high school, write on the yearbook or school paper or, and then take all the typing classes you can. And in college, write on the school paper and get as many internships as possible. And I listened to that, like that letter that he sent me, like the Bible. And actually the first thing I covered was the Silverdale Junior High in San Jose's eighth grade flag football team. When I was in the seventh grade. So if you go and look at the archives of the school, there's some kid who actually used the J, Mark J. Spear. That was a seventh grader's decision um, mm -hmm. to to write stories. And I was like going to flag football games, the eighth grade flag football team and writing, covering them like a beat writer when I was in the seventh grade, man. And been writing ever since. That sounds uh, very familiar, Mark, because <laughs> it was probably around the same time, maybe eighth grade, I would say, that I, uh, that I thought that's what I wanted to do, too. And I, yeah. I would look forward, Colin probably remembers this, to every uh, Sports Illustrated that would show up and flip and straight to the back to read Rick Riley's column. Yeah. That, to me, was, that, that was, that was what I saw myself being. It, was, it got me every time. And, uh, I think, but I think the first thing that I covered was what were our games in high school. I remember yeah. writing for the school paper recaps of our basketball games uh, for the Monroe Bearcats. Wow. Um, and uh, my first job out of college was, was uh, with ESPN. So we have another connection there too. Yeah, yeah, dope. Yeah. yeah, three of us within, well, mine direct like you guys, but with ABC for years, right? And dealing with everyone at ESPN on a weekly basis and got to know a lot of good people out yeah. in the uh, over the years. But, um, you know, you've, speaking of writing, you've got a book coming out um, yeah. in October. Is that still on schedule? I, I think I read October uh, and it's October 6th. October 6th. Um, yeah. It's um, a book on Spencer Haywood. Cool. Hall of Famer. Crazy story about a guy who woke up into uh, basically picking cotton uh, in yeah. Liberty City, Mississippi to a superstar basketball player with a lot of craziness going on. I mean, it, it definitely could be easily be a 30 for 30. But myself yeah. and Gary Washburn, we, we co-wrote this book and it's coming out um, October 6th about the life of Spencer Haywood. Obviously, with in the pandemic, you're not going to be able to promote it like you want to. Uh, I don't know when we'd be able to physically promote it, but it could be purchased on Amazon. It's it's crazy from the beginning to the end. It's very entertaining. Easy read, 240 pages. You guys can knock that out in you know, <laughs> well, a couple and months. Also, yeah, and the subject matter doesn't hurt either because I don't know if, if uh, you know this, but Colin and I actually grew up in the Seattle area, and we, oh, uh, well, we, we, we are uh, – Lifelong. In fact, I'm wearing my Sonics t-shirt today. Well, hopefully um, you'll get a team back. It but, still hurts. But uh, Spencer yeah. Haywood, obviously a legend, uh, uh, Super Sonics legend. So we can't wait to read it for sure. Yeah, no, I need, I need to 
I saw, did you guys see the documentary about where's a uh, big country? No, no. Gotta, I you, it was I've heard of that one. It was on, it's on ESPN plus, but uh, two of my, uh, like still the, when I first started coming to NBA in 99, my first trip was to Vancouver. And obviously I made a lot of trips to Seattle and yeah. it just seems, re- I mean, with all due respect to OKC and Memphis, like, come on, man. They're like, yeah, it just on, seems, man. it's just like a, it's interesting. And, and, and I, God rest his soul, David Stern. I wish mm-hmm. there was so much I wanted to talk to him about when I talked to him last fall before he passed away, but, it's interesting that he was able to keep Sacramento and I think I wonder if there was some guilt in letting Vancouver and Seattle move that helped them push yeah. to keep the keep the NBA in Sacramento. because um, those there, there's no way that Seattle and Vancouver shouldn't still have teams and it's just like when you have an expansion team, you, you can't do a six, seven year experiment and expect it to like all come together it's going to take some time i've done a couple things in vancouver over the last two years and they met they they're still grizzlies fans there they still they miss it you know what i mean and it it, once the team got good it would have worked you know but they, they were awful from the moment they got there and people were just learning about basketball so i i think it was a huge mistake to leave both places obviously ownership changed and that played a role in it but it shouldn't have happened yeah. well talk about i mean vancouver to me and scott like growing up in seattle we would go vancouver up to whistler and stuff a lot and i mean it's one of the yeah. cities in north america so just removing seattle and vancouver city yeah. um and you know that i mean the players that have come out of seattle right i played against did a fun story with Jason Terry when he was with the Rockets, you know, uh, we played in the same state basketball tournament together. Um, wow. Points per game. against it's, each other. It's, it's Jason Terry, Colin Resch, Jason Terry, Colin Resch. And so I did a fun story with him a few years ago in Houston about that. Um, you know, Jamal Crawford and who else? Uh, Michael Dickerson was playing. Well, Seattle has a long list of talent. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. gone is yeah it, it hurts man it hurts so you can preach for us but um we got to get we got to talk about the bubble because i know you you told me that you're probably going to take yeah. sunday for orlando uh first how long do you expect to be there um i know mm-hmm. that, uh, some scrimmage games for about a week before it really kicks off but are, are you going to be there for a month or two or do you know um it, it's still a, a work in progress um and uh but i'm excited i'm i'm leaving in um on sunday um and let me get better so I can look better. uh i'm leaving on sunday and i'm once i get there i got to quarantine for a week mm. and it's going to be weird cuz you don't choose your food they just basically knock on your door at 9 at like 8 a.m. or uh, 12 and and 5 and just like leave some food at your door and i think the only time you can leave the room is when you quarantine uh go take your covid test so but i'm flying to orlando next sunday quarantine for a week and then like get to be in the bubble um how long am i gonna be there i might be there the whole time maybe i might take a break in the middle i don't I don't know all the rules just yet we got a big conference call coming in a couple of days. We'll, we'll explain everything more. I was just basically told to be there 
Sunday afternoon. <laughs> so uh, I got some boxes of stuff I'm mailing out because if you're going to be there that long, you got to make it home. You know, I'm, I'm not going to use hotel soap, and, you know, yeah. the whole time. I want to use my own stuff. And, you know, you want, you want to make it as comfortable as possible. Um, so are you excited, nervous? What's your overall feeling? Oh, I'm super excited. I mean, yeah. I'm going to be a part of history. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, I miss my wife. I wish she could come with me. You know, that, that would be great. But that's not the reality of this. This is a really tough situation, unique situation. But I think there's going to be less than 20 journalists that get to go in. And to say that you're a part of that, I mean, is is an honor. Um, I actually think it's going to be one of the safest places on earth. Like, people are like, how, how are you going to feel about being stuck there for three months? I'm like, shoot, I've been stuck in Oakland for three months. I mean, four months, you know what I mean? And can't really do nothing. Um, but the difference is in there, at least I know everybody's getting tested every day. Um, you have to wear masks no matter what, wherever you go. Um, so it's it's going to be uh, as healthy of an environment as you can. I mean, can it get in there somehow? Sure. But they have um, bands that you wear that can, like, detect it before it happens. And there's, a, uh, there's actually a hospital on the grounds. So God forbid there's any kind of outbreak. But if everybody's getting tested daily and you're not around people that have it, then I, I would knock on wood, you know, I would think that the uh, has a great chance for success. And I know Do Dr. Fauci put a stamp on it, but um, I think it's, it's going to be very, very interesting, man, to say the least. And uh, there's going to be, uh, new, uh, whether it's a, from a social justice standpoint, just hoop standpoint, just life standpoint, second round, the players able to bring their families in. Um, there's going to be some of the motion there. It's going to be a lot. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it's going to be documentary worthy. And I think 10 years from now, you know, someone's going to say, were you in the bubble? I'm like, yeah, man, I was in there. It's going to be a cool thing to talk about. So yes, my expectations that's what and what reality is going to be, who knows, man, but I'm, I'm really excited about it. Yeah. So that's what I was thinking. There's so many aspects to this. You go in, sort of thinking, all right, well, we got we to gotta address this and this, or do you let it all happen to you sort of thing? Yeah. So now, I, I mean, I got to do my job, and there's going to be competition in terms of, you know, so the best of the best journalist-wise in, in terms of covering the NBA. So there's certainly going to be competition, and everybody's going to want their scoop, and it, it ain't going to be like being in a locker room and pull somebody to the side because you got to be socially distant. So it's going to be difficult uh, challenge, but I, I look forward to it and um, <clears throat> getting to be on the inside of that is probably the dream of everybody, every NBA fan and to, to be 13 feet of rows away from the floor during this time and probably be able to hear a lot more than you would typically hear. Um, yeah. And then it's from the social justice standpoint, seeing how, you know, what, what, things the players pick to put on, pick, put on their jerseys, what's going to be on the floor, uh, the PSAs, what's going to be said. Like, for me, it's undefeated. That's something I'm really going to be attracted to, chronicling that. And um, 
yeah, no, I'm, I'm honored to be a part of it. Well, Mark, I know you got to take off, man. I know, I know you're busy and you got to get going on your work day and, and Scott does as well. And so I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to cut this off. And I said, we, we would keep it short and sweet. And uh, so that's what I, I aim to do here. So I, I want just to appreciate you getting on as our first guest, like I said, um, telling me some stories that you've never told me before. Um, yeah. Sad stuff, uh, amazing stuff. And just really appreciate you kind of being open and honest and, and best of luck in the bubble, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to both of y'all, man, honored to be your first guest. Uh, future success is going to be amazing. Y'all keep doing your thing and you know, you guys got beautiful personality. So I know this is going to be a hit. And uh, again, when the swag comes, <laughs> I expect to be the first one to get it. So, so let me know three X, you know, give me the cap. <laughs> Okay. Uh, I'm waiting for it. I'll send you my address. But no, nah, man, congratulations on your show. And thanks for thinking of me. Yeah, man. And, and when this is all over, we'll meet up in person one of these days again. One of these days. Yeah. All right, right fellas. All right, guys. Episode one from the tips. That's a wrap. Yes, sir. Congrats. See you, Mark. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.